train with me. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. I, I, we don't do like Pastor Chuck. You, uh, one day we might go this route, but he used to go Genesis right through Revelation and start the process right over again. Uh, we're in two books, as I just mentioned. We're in the book of Ezekiel on Wednesday nights, albeit not this coming Wednesday night. And uh, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 6. This is part 5. So uh, we have broken down this chapter, or this uh, particular portion of Scripture, uh, in chunks. And we're going to be looking at verses 37 through 42 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get one in your hands. If you don't have a Bible, uh, one of our ushers will be glad to bring one to you. We'll be starting in verse 37, reading verses 37 to 42, you're going to recognize this first verse. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will not they both fall in the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Father, we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Speak to each heart exactly what you have planned and prepared for each person even before the foundations of the world. Your word is eternal, Lord. We know that you have great things in store for those that will hear, receive, and do what you've commanded. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a convention that was going to be held back in the days of uh, William Booth. You might, know who his, you might know his name. He founded the Salvation Army. And he was not able to attend because he was weak and sick at that time. So he cabled his convention message to them, and he gave them one word, others. That's all it said, others. Jesus came, and he taught that his disciples would be others-centered. Amen? See, we have a Savior that is others-centered. He could have stayed in heaven because he had no sin, he had done no wrong, he owned everything, but he was so others-centered that he came to die for really, really messed-up people like you and me. If you're not messed up anymore, praise the Lord. Although, to some extent, we always are and will be until we get to heaven. Amen? We'll get to that, too. But others. William Booth said there's just one thing, others. And we look at this text, and we see that Jesus knows. He knows we think a lot. We have a great esteem of ourselves. He says, if you want to follow me, you're going to look at others. You're going to perceive others the needs of others. You're going to look at others the way I look at others. Don't you want to look at people the way Jesus looks at people? To really look at people with his eyes, not our discriminant eyes, but his eyes. A.W. Tozer said, only a disciple can make a disciple. Only a disciple can make a disciple. This is what Jesus is training here. His followers are going to look and love others through his eyes. If you're taking notes this morning, I titled our time in God's Word, Following and Leading. 
following and leading. We'll look at three things in the text this morning. Loving, giving, and seeing. Loving, giving, and seeing. See, I don't always use alliteration. Loving, giving, and seeing. For those of you who think that I always do, no. Once in a while I will play tricks on myself. Last week we looked at being led by love and mercy. If you were with us last week, we're looking at verses 27 and 36. Being led by love and mercy. And, and these verses here, starting in verse 37, are really a continuation of God's blueprint for loving and how to love others. It's a, it's a continuation of that blueprint. What our Savior is communicating in these verses that I just read, what He's communicating here is that He wants us to be forgiving, humble, mature, servant-hearted disciples that follow Him, and not only that, are able to disciple and lead others to do the same. All the way back in the Garden of You, be fruitful and what? Multiply. That not only we would have those characteristics of humility and maturity and servant-hearted, but we would even be able to train and disciple others to do the same. Christ wants us to reproduce in His image according to His perfect design. Perfect design. You and I don't have anything that's perfectly designed. We have well-designed, we have good, good design, but we don't have perfect design. And notice the phrase that Jesus uses in verse 40. Look down at your Bibles. A disciple is not above his teacher, that's for sure. And everyone who is perfectly trained. Isn't that great? Only the Lord offers perfect training. Perfect training. But because we still have sin, is there anyone here that is now sinless? Of course not. Because we still have sin, because we still have the flesh to battle, we're not going to be perfect trainees, even though we get perfect training from the Lord, we won't be perfect trainees. We will not be perfect until heaven. But, look what it says at the end of verse 40. Perfectly trained will be like his teacher. We can still be like Jesus. And the longer we're saved, more like Jesus. In his image. We're the photograph. He's the real thing. Right? In his image. We're a far cry from the actual real thing, but we more and more are like him because we are perfectly trained and we're continually perfectly trained and he's continually purging out of us that which comes natural to us, and that which comes natural to us is not really good stuff, is it? It's the things that come supernaturally that are the good things. Those are the things that come from the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that come from heaven. We'll be like our teacher in increasing measure, and we'll apply. When we apply these things, we'll grow, we'll mature. If we follow his commands, if we follow his commands, we can think of what he's teaching us as destruction-proof discipleship. Destruction-proof. If we're willing to follow the way he says do it, it's destruction-proof. It does not mean that you won't have trials. doesn't mean that people, everyone's going to like you. doesn't mean that things won't come against you. We know that's not the case because he just told us in the previous text to love your who? Enemies. Interestingly enough, those that serve the Lord will have enemies mostly in the demonic world, but sometimes God will, I mean, the enemy will actually push people against you as well. But we still would be destruction-proof in the sense that our character will not fold, will continue to become more Christ-like. The final verses, which we'll get to next week, the final verses here in chapter 6, I, I want to point to next week for just a second because it's kind of important how you tie together all these things. A lot of people look at these verses in a vacuum, We'll get to one specific one in just a second. The final verse in Christ's teaching in the sixth chapter here, which are verses 43 to 49, which we'll look at next week, they continue with what genuine replication, genuine discipleship looks like. 
What genuine, because you have counterfeit of everything, right? There's always a counterfeit to everything, but then there's the real article. There's the genuine replication. There's the genuine reproduction. There's the genuine discipleship, and we'll look at that next week, and that's a continuation of this. But again, if you're taking notes, let's look first at loving, starting in verse 37, which is a continuation of last week, being led by love, uh, there is a bridge, bridge there in verse 36, but let's look at verse 37 first. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. That's the beginning of verse 37. This has to be one of the most abused, misused, and misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, after I did my own study, I just went and looked at a couple of commentaries, and it was comical to read that almost anyone that's ever studied the Bible realized that the whole world seems to know this verse. Or just that one part of the verse. You will f- this is a fun thing. Now ask people to complete the rest of the verse. Judge not, lest you not be judged. Okay, that's great. Give me the rest of the verse. There isn't a rest, is there? No, condemn not, and you should not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. They carry a little different weight to them, no matter what you think of the first part. But it's routinely, this judge not lest you be judged, is routinely taken out of context. It's one of the few verses, at least that first sentence, that an amazing number of people in the world and nominal Christians have somehow managed to memorize very popular verse. Do not judge. I've seen it on bumper stickers. I've seen it on t-shirts. And it comes out rather... I think people who have never heard the verse would make the verse up. It just comes very natural. But, But their context is, don't tell me what to do. Their context is, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. You can't tell me how to live my life. You can't tell me that this is okay or not okay. I decide what's okay. That's not the context of the verse. God decides what's okay and what's not okay. Amen? Not you, not me. You and I have nothing to do with determining what is right or wrong. We receive from God what he says is right, what he says is wrong. The second part of this verse is a lot less known to a wide audience, as I mentioned. Um, And the reason I believe that is, uh, first of all, the first part lends itself to the argument that a person already wants to make. But the second part of this verse, do not, be, uh, do not condemn, you shall not be condemned. Uh, this word condemn isn't used a lot by our modern society. It's not used a lot. Especially as it's related to eternity. Because the, the, the automatic here is that lest you be condemned is coming from who? God. And if God actually condemns people, that's a scary thought. But he actually does condemn people. We just read that in Ezekiel chapter 9, didn't we? Prior to the, uh, we were praying for our nation. He does condemn. Because there's going to come a day, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, that's a sobering thought. If I condemn people, and I recognize that God also condemns people, then I ultimately will not answer, I wasn't really the source of judging of what I decide, that actually God's going to be the source of what was right and what was wrong. And then Paul writes that to the Thessalonians. They'll all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, Judging will ultimately belong to God. Everyone, everyone who's ever been to traffic court knows you had to go before a judge, right? You don't go before the judge and say, well, I've decided here's what I believe Interstate 95 speed limit should be. I've given it some thought and I've done some research and I've realized that in the Autobahn, they're able to go 150 on that. So these roads were actually created for speeds of this, such, and so. And, and Judge, Your Honor, I have decided that this is the way it's going to work. Try that next time you're in traffic court. Actually, don't. It won't help at all, will it? The only thing you can do is plead for what? 
mercy. Look at verse 36, back to the bridge verb. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. See, those that are merciful, they understand that God is the judge of everything. They don't, they're not condoning, but they reserve final judgment always belongs to the Lord. Not condoning everything, not making excuses for things, not walking around condemning people. But we're not under any illusion that sin is still sin. Wrong is still wrong. Evil still exists. Amen? We're not under any illusions. Those things are all around us. And they're in us, naturally. Naturally, we sense with a conscience the things that we do that are wrong. But we're going to all stand before the judge, the one who will give either pardon or condemnation. And Jesus is setting the principle, judge not lest you be judged. There will be a judgment. I, by the way, me as a pastor, I will, re- I will receive, according to the Scripture, a stricter judgment. If I did not teach the whole counsel of God, if I hid certain truths because they weren't popular, or if I was beating a dead horse because it was to my own self-interest, all of these things, I would be held to a stricter judgment. But we'll all be held to a judgment, how we treated others, what we said, what we weren't willing to say. But we won't all be condemned, amen? Found in the blood of Jesus. I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'll give an account. Some of my stuff is going to end up being wood, stay and hub- woods, wood hay and stubble. It's not supposed to be a tongue twister, but anyway, wood, hay, and stubble. Some will be gold and silver. Some of yours will be gold and silver. Some of it will be wood, hay, and stubble as well. The things that were done in pride or in the flesh, they'll just kind of fade away, and the other things will actually come forth as pure gold. We'll all stand before, if we're saved, at least uh, take into account what we did as disciples in the judgment seat of Christ. The unsaved, they'll have a judgment too. It's called the great white throne judgment. There will be a judgment. If we're forgiven by the Lord, he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. I want you to now take the forgiveness you've received and start to give it freely to other people. That's a great concept, isn't it? To start giving people the forgiveness that you have received. It comes from the Lord. Back to verse 36. Merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We're not to be judging condemning that's up to the lord but we are to expose what's out there and to call it what it is second corinthians 5 11 says knowing therefore the terror of the lord we persuade men i have to tell men people ask me so what happens if i never follow your jesus well do you believe you'll die someday well of course we all die someday okay so what happens after that let them answer the question well nothing well that's not what god says he says something, you weren't created for a short period of time. You were created for eternity. All of us were created for eternity. You're going to live forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell, either in heaven with salvation and forgiveness or in hell. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's actually an act of love, isn't it? It's an act of love. If you know something is going to happen, you know, you're running through... Um, you know, Paul Revere was famous for what was he yelling? The British are coming. Right? He could have said, that's eh, their own problem. Right? I don't want to wake them up. They're sleeping really good. Well, if their house gets torched, you're glad that someone yelled, they're coming, they're coming. Rouse, wake up, get out, run while you can. And that's what a loving witness of Christ does. Jonah's problem. Remember Jonah in the Old Testament? He didn't want to do this. He actually knows God's actually merciful. He wanted to sit back and watch Nineveh get incinerated. Sometimes we all feel that way. We watch a news story, and our immediate response is, Lord, incinerate them. That's the way Jonah... Jonah was not wanting to be an ambassador for the Lord. He wanted to be one of the Lord's marching generals. And that's not what God called him to. It's not what he's called us to. This is the spirit of what the Lord is saying. I've not called you to go out and consume the wicked. 
I've called you to lend a hand, to call them to me. They will be judged if they die in this condition. They will be condemned if they die in this condition. They won't be forgiven if they die in this condition. But if you tell them about me, they can escape judgment, escape condemnation, and they can be forgiven. Meanwhile, be a forgiving person. We aren't going to go around being like the biggest offenders of judgment and condemnation in Jesus' time, and that was the ministry, pseudo-ministry of the Pharisees, right? What did the Pharisees do? And the main thing is the Pharisees, they weren't even focused on things that mattered. The most judgmental, mean-spirited, oftentimes focus on the most ridiculous of things. If you don't think that's true, watch Washington on C-SPAN. Right? They will berate each other. Meanwhile, we actually have real wickedness going on all over the place, but they'll berate each other over the splitting of hair of terms and words. This is the way the Pharisees were, condemning, judging of all kinds of things. Remember earlier in the chapter, earlier in the chapter, the Pharisees, they were irate that Jesus had healed a man. Back in verse 11, they were filled with rage because he had healed someone. They were outraged that Jesus was a wicked sinner because he had done it on what day? The Sabbath. That's the kind of stuff that made them really angry. Real sin, like in their own hearts, didn't really bother them. But Jesus, doing something they perceived as outside of their rules and regulations, they were going to bring strict and harsh condemnation to. And what Jesus is saying, that's not my disciples. Those are Satan's disciples, which is what the Pharisees were. We don't go around condemning, but we go around presenting Christ and persuading by the power of the gospel. When you really love people, you'll be gentle with them, is the spirit of this as well. When you really love people, you'll be gentle with them. You understand that you yourself are worthy of a guilty verdict. Isn't that true? Aren't we all worthy of a guilty verdict? I mean, when we really remember all the things we've done, of course, if we've only sinned once, it's enough to separate us from, from the Lord, but we've sinned many more times than once, haven't we? Some of you even sinned this week. That's a fair estimate, right? All of us. But we receive God's grace and mercy. Look at how Jesus dealt with people that were caught in immorality. Remember how he dealt with them? The Pharisees, they were ready to stone that woman caught in adultery. Jesus spared her life and saved her life, didn't he? course, he knew that all the ones that were about to stone her were just as guilty, but no one had seen them do it, right? Now, this is where people actually go back and get off track on that verse. No, John, you hypocrites, you've done all this kind of stuff. And that's true. We're saved by grace. We're being transformed, but you can't live and say, I'm not going to follow Christ, but we're going to be gentle with people. Jesus didn't condone their immorality. He didn't say to the woman, and I'm not going to judge what you're doing. You know, hey, hey you get, you're just as good as anybody else. You just keep going and doing what you're doing. He didn't say that. He pulled her out of it. Amen? He pulled her out of it. He didn't condone it and say, you keep on living the way. And who are these guys? Hey, let me expose all the things they do. They do as much bad stuff as you do, so both of you should be able to do whatever you want. He did not say that. He pulled her out of it. And he left them to themselves because they refused to humble themselves before the Lord. And they would have to deal with him later on Judgment Day if they don't repent. And some of them would. Isn't that great? Some of them would come to their senses. But Jesus, he never condoned these things. He rescued people. He forgave them and he changed them and transformed them. That's what he did with you and me. When the Lord convicted me of sin, when I walked forward at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale in 1995 there, God didn't say, I don't judge you for all these things you've been doing. You just keep doing them. Say this sinner's prayer and do whatever you want. He says, now I'm going to change you. I'm going to give you new desires where you won't want to do these things anymore. Isn't that great? 
He changes the desires. He changes the eyes, gives us new eyes, and changes us drastically. Adrian Rogers said, Dr. Adrian Rogers, who pastored Bellevue Baptist there in Memphis for years, he said, God would much rather forgive sin than to punish sin. That's the heart of God. That's what Jesus said. I want you to have that heart, that you would much rather forgive and meet, see, me, see me forgive people than you would have be like Jonah, see me judge them. That was what Jonah wanted. Judge them, Lord, judge them. I mean, really get them. The Ninevites are really bad, Lord. You have no idea how bad they are. And they were really bad. They would make some things that we see tame today. And yet the Lord says, how should I not have mercy on the people who don't, they, don't, they can't see their right hand from their left hand. They're in total darkness. Have mercy. Love them anyway. The fact is, he's going to do one or the other with every single soul. Forgive or punish every single one. That's the facts. But we're to love and treat people gently and come to them with hands of love, we're told to simply deliver the mail, right? And do it in a courteous way. The postal workers, I've had some very courteous ones deliver our mail. I've had some, well, they've had a bad day, right? With a smile, this is what the Lord says. doesn't mean that people are going to want to receive it. Some mail you get, you don't like receiving, especially when it's a bill, Right? doesn't feel good to receive it. But you're better off getting it than not getting it and getting interest payments and all kinds of late payments and all the other things. It's better to receive it and do something about it than not receive it at all. And the Lord says, I want you to come, and I want you to come to people gently. Be forgiving. Be tenderhearted. Don't be harsh with people. Don't be judgmental with people, but know that there is a judgment, and you'll love, you'll love them enough that they'll listen to you. You know, when you really are gentle with people, you'll be amazed at how people will start to receive from you, right? When you're gentle with them. If you lecture them from minute one, probably not. The Pharisees were that way. And Jesus said, not my disciples. The Pharisees have their own disciples. You'll be my disciple. Let's look at giving and starting in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This sounds great, doesn't it? We all want to be, oh Lord, we would love to receive all these things from you. But the immediate picture in verse 38, uh, in respect to what Christ says in verse 37, is this. Those that freely give mercy, that are givers of grace, they will abundantly receive mercy and grace from the Lord. The, the, verse 38 is directly connected to verse 37. The abundant givers of grace, the abundant givers of second chances, third chances, the abundant givers, remember the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? It's got to be a number here. And Jesus gave a number that it's actually, the way it actually is written, it's repetitive, it just keeps on going. Jesus says, basically, as long as you're alive, keep forgiving them. What? There's got to be a cutoff at age 65, right around Social Security, something, there's got to be a cutoff. No. The immediate picture, those that are free givers of mercy, free givers of grace, they will abundantly receive grace. Do you want a lot of grace and mercy from God? Start giving a lot of grace and mercy to other people. If you don't want a lot of grace and mercy from God, don't give any grace and mercy to anyone else. I say that tongue-in-cheek, obviously. We would not want to do that. But we do that naturally. That's what comes natural to us, isn't it? Our natural nature is to get even. I don't get mad, I get even. Make sure that I put that... Uh, I'm the kind of person that puts people in their place. And they make a mistake, I let them know it. I walk around, I see every flaw, I make sure I point them all out. And the Lord says, the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you want everyone pointing out all of yours, point out all of theirs. If you want everyone to uh, you know, give you zero grace, you're not the one that gives grace, 
you're very unlikely to receive it. But it starts first from the Lord. He is the one, you know, you and I can receive grace from others, but we can't have grace that is uh, pressed down, shaking the other, running over. That comes from the Lord. And it really, where you sense that, is you begin to have peace, and you'll really experience God's grace in you, regardless of what other, ones, other people say about you, or to you, or how they treat you. You experience God's favor, God's grace, God's mercy. It floods your heart. It floods your soul. It's far more than you could ever receive from people. People are like a fringe benefit of that. They will also, uh, as the Lord directs, give you that grace and mercy, but not always. But you'll know you're receiving it from the Lord, which is then how you're able to, you're going to kind of go back to last week's study, then you're able to still love your enemies because you've received so much grace and so much mercy. I don't know if you've, any of you ever, ever, ever listened to R.C. Sproul. Uh, he, he said something in one of his books um, that I thought was really, really uh, well said. Um, essentially, since we all deserve hell, every single person, from Adam and Eve till the last person that was born while we were sitting here, babies have been born around, every single person born, because we're born in sin and we're sinners, we all deserve hell, right? That's what we deserve. God gives us salvation and eternal life by mercy and grace. Amen? By mercy and grace. Therefore, everything we receive in life, everything we receive in life, falls well short of what we deserve. The good things and the bad things fall well short of what, what we deserve is hell. Forever. There's no, no end to it. Forever and ever and ever. So on a day you get a migraine, it falls well short of hell. On a day that you end up in the emergency room, it falls well short of hell. On a day that you find out you were let go, it falls well short of hell. All the things, he says, all the disappointments in life, then you see them in the perspective of, that's far less than what I ever deserved. And then you'll swing, your mind will swing from, you'll put it in its right perspective, then you'll start to swing over to all these blessings you've received at the same time that were gifts of grace. Isn't that true? It, but only the Lord could actually, to me, when I heard it say that, it just, I had light bulbs go off. It made, in my spirit, it made all the sense in the world. And God will give us mercy and grace, and even the perception of mercy and grace coming from the Lord pressed down as we continue to give it to other people. There's a warning here, though. It'll be measured back to you, whatever measure you use. It's a warning. If you choose to track everyone's mistakes, if you choose to be a keeper of wrong, 1 Corinthians 13 warns that, warns against that. True love doesn't keep a record of wrong. If you really are the kind of uh, individual that is tracking everybody's mistakes, tracking everybody's failures, then the Lord, there's really the blessing upon you is taken away. All of your mistakes and all failures are now tracking you. The Lord says, if you want my favor, don't live that way. If you want to be my disciple, of course, you can't teach other disciples. What are you going to teach them? You need to track everybody's mistakes. Hunt them down. I mean, everyone, don't forget a thing. And make sure you do never, ever, ever let them forget they did that. Bring it up at every argument. Or you can choose to say, no, I'm not going to do that. It was buried at the cross. I've forgiven you. I don't bring it up anymore. In addition to being liberal givers of grace, we can understand here that the principle duality also applies to other areas of biblical living. You'll sometimes hear this verse uh, used for financial things like that. It does apply, just so you know. Uh, when we talk about duality, that verses can mean multiple things at the same time. The truest connection in the text is to freely give grace and mercy, and you will freely receive grace and mercy. That is, that is the pinnacle of the application because that's directly connected to verse 37. Remember, we can take verses out of context at times. If we don't understand the 2020 rule, the verses above, the verses below. But the truest uh, understanding is related to giving grace and mercy, but it certainly does apply with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. Why? Because it actually fits extremely well with all the other verses that apply to those things. Think, for example, Proverbs 18.24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Right? Friendly people 
generally speaking, will actually have people be friendly back. If you're really a cantankerous person, I've said before, I always crack up when I see somebody that is just agitated, a store clerk, and they decide to give it to them. And I'm thinking, you're never going to get this discount now. <laughs> Not if this kid hadn't been on break for all day. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, like, this is the exact way not to get your way. I may, maybe there was a time in America that worked, but now when everyone is in battle mode, I don't see that helping. But I've found that when I am really great, say, hey, you know, I, I, it might have been my mistake here, but I, ask, I have hotels say, yes, we'll give you the discount, or yes, you, we'll, we'll actually forego that you didn't cancel by 6 p.m. All kinds of things. Friendly usually begets friendly. That's not a, remember, Proverbs are general rules. They don't happen every time. You will find every now and then the stickler that says, no way. Just give them mercy and love them anyway. There's, no matter how they respond, you have a response here in the text. No matter how they respond, you have a response, and it'll look like Christ. But these things apply. Our time, our talent, our treasure, Proverbs 11, 25. He who waters others will himself be watered. You, wanna, you want the Lord to water your life? Water other people's lives. Serve and help other people. You want to be blessed financially? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Proverbs chapter 3 says, the first fruits, give the first fruits, your barns will overflow, your vats will overflow. These principles still apply. It's true of every godly principle. The more we give it away, the Lord will give it back. The giving heart of a disciple. Giving grace, giving mercy, giving our time, giving our talent, giving our treasure. Let's look at the last thing here, seeing. We've got to follow the Lord in these things. But once we follow the Lord in these things, we will eventually, hopefully sooner than later, later as, a, as a servant of the Lord, be able to lead in these things, model in these things, disciple these things. Seeing, verses 39 through 42, can the blind lead the blind? Jesus asks a metaphoric question here. I mean, or he asks a, a redundant question, I should say. A redundant question, can the blind lead the blind? No. Will they not both fall into a ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Jesus reminds us right in the middle here to remember that the rules don't come from us. The rules come from him. Disciple's not above his teacher. The student is not the teacher. The student learns from the teacher. But one thing Jesus is saying is that the student has to apply what the teacher has said. And the teacher has said, you're going to have to be loving, forgiving, humble, and you're going to have to self-examine yourself before you can see clearly. He says this uh, down in, in verse 42. It says, remove the speck from your, remove the plank from your eye, and then you will see clearly. You have to remove your own impediments before you can see clearly. It is not wrong, matter of fact, it is right to be involved in other people's lives. As you build relationships, God will put you in other people's lives. If you have children, God put them in your life. Amen? He gave you lives to be very involved in. To ins if you're a parent that you don't inspect your children's lives, that's missing the boat, isn't it? You have to be inspecting your children's lives. But you can't inspect them correctly if your life is a wreck. You know the old do as I say, not as I do, right? You have to be first walking as a disciple before you can make a disciple, before you can train up a disciple, before you can actually say, no, no, this is going to be really harmful for you. Well, how do you know? Because I used to have the same issue, but the Lord revealed it to me, and I dealt with it. And you know, it's interesting. When people know that you really have dealt with it, anything you've ever dealt with, you still will slip up and mess up somewhere down the road, right? But you know what? Kids know authenticity. They do not call that out if it's really genuine in your life. But if it's ongoing hypocritical, that they will definitely notice. Amen? We hear it all the time with, when we're in the, uh, the prison system. Matter of fact, the other night I asked, uh, I asked a, a, a unit of girls, there's 14 girls, I said, how many of you 
in this room, how many of your parents are still together? Your biological parents are still together. One hand went up out of 14. One hand went up. And that led to they had so many questions about why their parents did this, why their parents did this, why they got away with this, why they were still doing this, why they were remarrying, why all these things. They had so many questions. They were really good questions. Parents, if we don't remove the plank, our kids will have planks too. They'll have them as well. And you can't minister to people's lives if we aren't self-examining ourselves. Jesus said, look, I want you to be loving, humble, all these things, but you're going to have to look in the mirror a lot. A lot. And that's why we have to be in the Word of God every day. I need the mirror of words, God's Word to show me. I need course correction constantly. How about you? And he uses a humorous example here. A beam, a telephone pole, a two-by-four, whatever have you, out of your eye. I don't see any. You walk into a room, you've got a two-by-four smacking everyone around the room, and you're like, what, what's wrong with these people? They've got all kinds of issues. You've got specs in your eye, and you're slapping everyone with a two-by-four. And they're all looking at you like, you're the fool in the room that has the biggest issue here. And we've all had that. We've had bosses like this. They can berate all these things. You're like, you're the biggest offender. And no one really has any respect for that individual, do they? Because they see that you say one thing, you do another, you all the time can point out everyone else's flaws, but you see none of your own. So very aware of other people's flaws, aren't we? Oh, we can pick them out with everybody else. We also give ourselves a tremendous amount of grace. We give ourselves a lot of latitude. When we're late, it was the train's fault. When we don't do what we said, it was someone didn't leave a note for me. Someone didn't email me. Someone didn't remind me. This, that, or the other. It's always somebody else's fault. But we give ourselves so much latitude. Because in our little world, we don't have any beams or specks or anything else. But we know better when we actually stop and think about it and look at it in God's Word, don't we? We look at it and we say, Lord... I have a lot of things. Deal with me. I like Kirk Cameron put out a blog this week. He said, my biggest enemy, me. And it's true. We're our own biggest obstacle. But the Lord wants us to be able to see clearly. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean you're living like a hypocrite. And people say, there are too many hypocrites in the church. There's room for you too. Come on in. <laughs> Plenty of room. We got some seats, see? We got some here. But he wants us to see clearly. He actually wants us to help and assist others. Jesus is saying, How can you remove? Jesus said, I want you to get the speck out of someone's eye. Have you ever had a gnat in your eye? Drives you bananas. You will let anyone, you'll let a hardened criminal take the gnat out. A perfect stranger. When you get a gnat in your eye, you can't think of anything else until someone gets it out. Your enemy becomes, please, anything. When people, once they realize you really are there to help, they'll let you take specks out of their eye. But if they think you're there to prove that you're spiritual and you're better and you're this and you're that and you're greater, they'll get somebody else. Or they won't get anyone at all. And they'll go further downhill. But none of us really want a speck in our eye. We want someone to help us, to love us enough to come alongside. I have mentors in my life. I love when they, I can ask them, hey, inspect me. I have people that disciple me. Good question to ask you. Who's discipling you? I'm not talking about from the pulpit. I mean in your personal life, who is really, who are the people in your lives that are your mentors discipling? Who are you mentoring and discipling? Who are you actually gently actually taking that claw and actually helping get the gnat of the speck out? Because that you have enough relationship that, the, that you can iron, sharpen, iron, help and assist one, one another. This is the way biblical maturity works, that we would actually see clearly, help others, others focused, and people want to be taken to new levels of growth. Most people want to improve. Most people want to mature in the Lord. But you have to have those relationships. You have to, be, you have to determine that you're going to have discipleship. You're going to be involved in these things. You're going to have people in your life. 
and you also are going to have to continue. I'm going to have to continue. We have, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 28, let a man examine himself. Matter of fact, he's actually speaking of the Lord's Supper, which we're about to take of, that you don't even take the Lord's Supper unless you self-examine. And it's something the Lord will always have us do because as we self-examine ourselves and then the Holy Spirit, when I say self-examine, it's actually the Holy Spirit doing the examination through us, but the Holy Spirit is examining us and then... When we remove anything that's an impediment, we're able to go out and be effective, encouraging, loving, humble servants that have an other's focus. We all need to be discipled. We all need to be discipling. I love that D.L. Moody said this. This is great for us that have children. Every one of our children will be brought into the ark if we pray and work earnestly for them. All three of D.L. Moody's children went on to serve the Lord. All three. Really can, but we have to. D.L. Moody was a man that would take the planks out of his own eye before he would help other people. He was very self-aware uh, and self-critical of his own flaws. He would pray with other men, say, hey, I have a weakness in this area. Are you able to say that to someone? Say, I have a weakness in this area. Will you pray with me? If you have an issue that you can't get over, a sin in your life that you have not, if you've never confessed it to a mature brother and sister in Christ, say, would you pray, I cannot get past this one sin in my life. God actually will help you deal with it, confessing our sins and trespasses one another. Now, I'm not talking about a public Facebook post. I am dealing with, you know, that kind of thing. There's actually way too much of that kind of nonsense. I'm talking about a mature brother and sister, an elder, a deacon, a sister in Christ, a brother in Christ that you can trust, say, can you pray with me? I am really struggling. I cannot stop losing my temper, whatever it is. I need you to pray with me. I need to confess it. See, that's actually, both parties will actually get rid of specks and beams. That's loving and helping others. And then both go away more mature to, to replicate the process, continually seeing fruit in other lives. Let's close in prayer. Father, we Thank you for this time this morning in your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be those that are following your lead and those, Lord, that are leading others. And, Lord, we'd be doing this with humility and grace and forgiveness. And, Lord, self-examination, Lord, as your spirit continually cleanses us, then we're more effective to go out and bind the wounded that we're effective to speak the truth in love and in grace, that our speech would be seasoned with salt. Lord, that people would receive from us because we come not in hypocrisy and pharisaical self-righteousness, Lord, but we come in the grace and gentleness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that all the areas that I could never convey, your Holy Spirit is conveying even now to these, your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to take a time of communion. And as the men come forward, as I mentioned, I quoted from uh, a passage that Paul speaks of related to the Lord's Supper. It's, uh, again, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There's a warning that uh, if you're going to take the Lord's Supper, not to do it in an unworthy or flippant manner. Uh, if, it, if we couldn't take the Lord's Supper until we were perfect, none of us could take it. That's not the, that's not the point. The point is to simply ask the Lord, say, Lord, please forgive me of anything right now that would be a barrier to me being in harmony with you. And even if, even if you don't, aren't able, let's say you've got something that you really need help with. You need to confess to someone. Just commit to the Lord that you're going to do that. Say, Lord, I will go to someone. You can come to me. You can try. I, I'm not going to tell your issues to the world. I'll keep it between you and the Lord. But you can tell someone that you really know loves the Lord. Say, I, I commit, Lord, I will go and I'll confess and I'll gain victory over what the enemy does not want you to be set free from anything. Trust me. He wants you to be in constant bondage, constant self-condemnation. He wants you to be constantly worried, anxious, in sin. But the Lord, remember, Jesus comes to set people free. 
to pardon, to forgive. So we all have a lot to be thankful for when it comes to the Lord's Supper. We want to thank the Lord for coming and giving that grace and mercy to us that we certainly did not deserve. And maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not a Christian at all. You've never asked to be born again. Right where you're sitting, you can ask the Lord to come into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior. You don't need actually my help to do that. You need the Lord's help. Say, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. Come into my heart. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior, to cleanse me. Write my name in your land's book of life. If you've never done that and you want to do that this morning, just bow your head and ask the Lord to be your Savior. And then come and tell me after the service that you've done that. We're going to take a few moments. And the only reason I say come and tell me is we, we have some materials we want to give you to help you grow in your walk with Christ. We've got discipleship. We want to see you grow in the Lord. But I want all of us to take a few minutes to just thank the Lord. If you already, man, you were, you were already asked the Lord to forgive all your sins when you are worshiping this morning, you're in great shape. That's a good place to be. You ask the Lord to cleanse you. And, and, uh, but again, just tell the Lord, thank you for the cross. Aren't you thankful for the cross? Can you imagine dying a Roman crucifixion? I mean, literally. Can you imagine choosing to die a Roman crucifixion? Jesus chose it because it was the will of the Father. And he said that he, in Hebrews, said that he looked to the cross. It was the joy set before him. Unbelievable that Jesus looked at the cross as joy. Why? Because he knew he would liberate millions of souls worldwide. Those girls that were killed in India this week, Pakistan, I mean, these are the kind, Jesus said, I want, they might die on the earth, but I want to give them eternal life. You know? People in prison, people that are victims of crime, the Lord wants to save both sides of the equation. Amen? He did all that. And he did it for you and me too. So take this time just to thank the Lord for the cross. Thank him for your forgiveness of sin. And again, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, ask him today. He'll save you this very moment. If you're a brother and sister, you've been struggling with things, I'll say it one last time. Don't let the enemy allow you to stay in bondage. You need to confess it to someone that's mature in the Lord that will pray with you and be set free of it. You really can be. Doesn't mean you'll never have the attacks come, but it won't have the same power over you. Let's thank the Lord for the cross for a few minutes.